Hello and welcome to Egg Meat Sperm. In this podcast, we cover everything from fertility, vitality, to humanity. This podcast is all about how the body, mind, and spirit integrate, how the masculine meets the feminine, and how we can integrate the many sides of ourselves to live our fullest potential, and in the process to optimize our fertility and have the family that we've always dreamed of. I'm your host, Dr. Omama. In this season of Egg Meat Sperm, we focus on how the body is consistently talking to us. It's sending us signals about what's happening and how, if we're listening and paying attention, we can help our bodies heal and feel empowered to have our best and optimal fertility. Today, we're delighted to be joined by Dr. Payal Bandari, um, who is a leading provider of integrative medicine. She's a board-certified practitioner in family medicine since 2004. Dr. Bandari was born in New Jersey and raised in West Virginia, where she attended West Virginia University and received her undergraduate degree in biology in 1997. She's also uh, received her Doctor of Medicine degree uh, in 2001. Dr. Bandari completed her family medicine residency in 2004 Uh, from the University of Massachusetts. Throughout Dr. Bhandari's educational and professional career, she has been fascinated with holistic medical care through nutrition, prevention, and alternative healing modalities. She's actively sought out opportunities to increase her understanding of what true health and healing are. Thank you so much for being here today, Dr. Bhandari. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you because um, I feel like you're one of those medical doctors that really understands and grasps the the idea of holistic medicine and healing, healing, true healing, um, rather than coming from this like fix it band aid mentality, right? Um, I feel like you've been practicing that for a long time, and you kind of embody it in a lot of ways. So I'm really excited to have you here today. Oh, great. (laughs) Uh, So maybe we can kick off with maybe why, I know you work a lot with chronic disease and um, it seems like in the US, more and more and more people are kind of um, dealing with chronic diseases and it seems like it's been steadily on the rise like heart disease cancer diabetes are probably the top 3 but even like the specialty i work in in infertility is also on the rise so it seems like overall our health is kind of shifting towards a not so healthy balance um so i'm curious what your thoughts are on that and why you think that's going on well uh, I mean, you're definitely correct in terms of we have an epidemic on many chronic diseases that if you even look back to, let's say, the 1950s or 60s, like around when your grandparents were at the prime of their life, that we did not see the exponential rate of obesity, diabetes, cancer, et cetera. And so you have to wonder, like, that's a really short amount of time to create such, such a shift. And there's been you know, probably a few component, few variables that I would say are probably tied to the shift. One of the first one is our food. Our food has drastically changed from what it used to be and what it is now. 
If you think about, most people don't even know where their food comes from. Um, you know, we used to be a farming-based country, and now it is really that we're basically dependent on you know, our food coming from a different source. And so I think, I think a few things have changed. Number one is there was a dramatic shift in um, pesticide use in the United States, probably around 1985. And so with that shift, there also was a dramatic increase in the crops that we use. So in the United States, we produce uh, a lot of corn, wheat, and soy. And it's very inexpensive because there's a lot of um, laws that help keep the cost of those crops really low. So what we've done is we've, we produce a lot of those crops. Um, they're heavily sprayed, but those are also now been genetically modified. Now, when you've got the combination of inexpensive, you produce a lot of it, and you can easily put it into every food source, that's not the way the human body was designed to have that, because some of them are not, like for example, corn is so hybridized that we can't really digest it very well, but it's in like everything we eat. Um, so is soy, and then wheat, you know, it was designed so that we could help prevent hunger, but we can't consume um, it the low level we are. The other big shift that we had was we had a huge increase in farm-fed um, animals. So now when you've got a big jump in the intake of animal protein, and then two, when you look at what are those animals being fed, they are not what people picture on like the McDonald's, uh, like the, what's that, uh, there's a rhyme that kids always saying, um, oh, McDonald's. Oh, McDonald's. Right? <laughs> that's, not what, that's not the way it is anymore where you've got cows, chickens, um, pigs, they're all being fed corn, wheat, and the people in those industries actually know that it makes them really, really sick. So in order to deal with them being really sick, they get fattened up, they get, they're given a ton of different drugs um, to help get them to a point where they can use their products and get them out in the industry. So you've got a combination of people are eating animal proteins that aren't the way they historically were designed, so they are impacted by that. Number two, they're getting a lot more of these genetically modified foods. There's a lot more herbicide exposure. And then the other biggest thing is our sugar. Mm -hmm. So, you know, cane sugar, which is originally where sugar came from, it's kind of expensive. So it's a lot cheaper to use corn and take the syrup out of the corn and put it into everything. And then once you like when things are sweet, there's an actual... Um, an addictive component to these foods. So you're gonna want to consume more and more of them. The problem is the body isn't getting what the nourishment that it needs. So it'll say, well, keep giving it, you'll keep assuming that, oh, if I eat more of this, I'll feel satisfied, but you don't. So it's not that people wanna keep eating a lot of food, but when they're not getting the signals from their body to say, hey, I'm totally happy, I'm content, I feel good, they're not getting those signals. So their intake is going up, the quality of their food is going down, they're less, dis they're less connected with where their food comes from because of just our lifestyles and we we're not near our food sources anymore. So we're dependent on a lot of marketing labels. So you've got those components of food has changed, right? And you're doing this from in utero to throughout people's lives now for multiple generations. Then you've got people who don't cook anymore. So they really are disconnected, and they were even scared by the concept of cooking because they haven't even seen their grandmothers cook. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to just interject. Like, there's, you've said so much already. There's yeah, one. Um, I had a, a patient who had a teenage son who came with her to one appointment, and we just happened to be in. I was in DC at the time, so we had this garden in the back, and I brought them out into the backyard where we grow some of the vegetables. And I pulled out a root, which was a carrot. Uh-huh. And the kid was like, oh, my God, what is that? <laughs> yeah. I was like, um, that's a carrot. You've never seen a carrot before? And he's like, that doesn't come from the ground. And like, yes. it was just one of those yes. moments that has stuck with me for so long because it's kind of the disconnect that you were talking about, the disconnect that we have from what what we're actually putting into our bodies and where it came from so uh, yeah. it's crazy but to think about kids growing up with the idea that food comes from a supermarket and it just appears there out of nowhere um kids are adults now and yeah adults are also getting very disconnected from why do i feel this way mm-hmm. and what if what is going on in the patterns of my behavior so when we start to become more and more disconnected, you start with symptoms that aren't really valued for like, there's a reason our body talks to us mm-hmm. and we need to listen to it in order to change our patterns. But then there's a, there's a disconnect. So let's say somebody goes into a doctor's office and they're like, Hey, you know, my hand feels funny or um, my, 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 my chest is hurting. Well, there's a disconnect in the medical community because we treat symptoms in traditional allopathic medicine. So when we treat symptoms, And we will oftentimes say, oh, well, you know, here's a pharmaceutical drug, or let's do a lot of diagnostic tests. We're also not necessarily connecting our patients with the source of why is this happening. We're just as much going towards looking at everything as a separate entity and not putting those pieces together. Like simple questions like, so what did you have for breakfast? Even if you ask that, does the provider actually get the fact that maybe if you had a frozen waffle in the morning and a <laughs> with maple syrup on top or high fructose corn syrup. <laughs> right. But they're not considering that. They're thinking, oh, I guess that sounds like a healthy meal. Yeah. And you've got a, a perpetual cycle that's created now that started, you know, years ago, but it's become the status quo. Mm-hmm. So there's a disconnect in many ways. Um, and the way we're targeting it is actually going away from the source. Um, and so when people are saying, hey, I'd love to be better educated, that's not exactly what they're being provided with. Mm-hmm. They're going outside trying to figure it out, but there's so much information out there. It's like, how do you decipher between what's right and what's wrong? Totally. It's almost like we have too much information, but we don't have enough information as to, and I, I try to tell my patients this a lot, is like, let's play with what you're eating and see how your your body feels from it right yeah. so in order to like shift a pattern of something they've been doing for 20 years it's easier for them to say oh i actually feel crappy every time i eat this thing maybe yeah. i ought to stop eating this thing right um instead of me coming in and saying nope you can't eat that anymore that's it right um, so it is it is really like reeducation um, I think practitioners need more education, but then also like us taking uh, us as people taking our yeah. power back, right? Saying like, let me just see what this feels like. 
And if it doesn't feel good, I'm going to stop doing it. Right. Like you, you were mentioning our bodies talking to us. Right. So what are like, and that's exactly the intention of this podcast is like, our body's always talking to us and are we listening? And, and if we're listening, are we able to figure out what, what it means? And if we're not, we find people that might be able to help us kind of um, translate what our body's saying. Yes. <laughs> right. Like we, I think as practitioners, we, especially like coming from this holistic perspective, you were saying of like, really getting to the root cause. We need to do the, the analysis of root cause and see, like, why is this person having this, this symptom? Right. Whatever that symptom is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about um, what you notice a lot is maybe at the root of I think you've already been talking about it. A lot of it is food, right? What our food supply is, how disconnected or how connected we are to our food. What are some other things that are standing out to you as root causes? I think there's a couple of other things that you would think about. One is our pace of life. Um, you know, just going back to, again, um, I spoke a, a bit about food is, you know, the basic things are not now considered basic anymore. They're like, oh, eating, I'll just do that later. Or I'll just grab something to go. Oh, sleep, I'll just do it later. Um, everything is like, those basic things are so important. And the value that they need to be given isn't really valued in the United States. Like, we don't really value getting a good sleep or take your time to eat. Like, even if it's a crap meal, but enjoy it. Um, <laughs> because you'll have a very different experience. And that experience changes us from feeling like really irritable or having mood swings to being like, wow, this, I have a different outlook on life, right? So just simple things that are actually very complicated if we don't value the importance of them. That's one huge component because I see from children and to uh, you know, geriatrics, there's not enough allocation of sleep. It's one of the top reasons we have chronic diseases. People just don't sleep enough. And it's not just the quantity, it's the quality. Mm -hmm. What does it take to make it happen? I think another big component is, and with that, it's our pace of life, right? Where we're just like quickly, quickly, quickly. Like, how much can we get accomplished? It's like, where are you going? You know, mm -hmm. what's the point? You're going to burn out. I think the other thing is that we've also had a shift in community. There's a lot more isolation in, in this country where people, are not sitting and talking to their neighbors, their families, you know, they're just, they're living in silos in a way and it gets lonely. So when, when you're just, loneliness is a big component of how we can heal. When you feel like you're connected with others, it changes and it's been shown over and over again that you can transform chronic disease by just feeling a sense of connection and love from others. You have to have a purpose that's beyond yourself. Otherwise, people get self-consumed and, you know, their, their, their disease becomes part of their identity. And it's hard to get out of it. And it's not, it's not this concept like, oh, you can just um, have a, a will and you're going to get through it. If that was the case, we'd all be very different and we wouldn't need each other. But at the end of the day, we need each other. Mm -hmm. So I think that these shifts have happened over decades, but we are seeing the impact of some of those little things that probably were designed to help us 
feel supported. But now we've got a lot of reasons to not be connected with people. We've got a ton of use of media where it's like, I can just look at my phone and have my best friend. I don't actually need to talk to people anymore. <laughs> but it's, it's nice to talk to people. Right. So I yeah. think that there's a lot of factors and you could really go into each one in depth. Um, but you're going to touch upon part of it is community. Part of it is our pace of life. Part of it is what do we want to really value that's important? And if it's important, how do you want to go about learning how to bring it a part of your everyday, you know, lifestyle? Yeah. You like, you're so on point with how I view health and, and wellness as well. So I love that. Um, connection has been one of those things that I really wish for my client to explore a little bit. And I'm curious if you've found ways that um, you can bring it into your practice so that it becomes part of their healing process. For myself, I mean, right now, it's more of bring up, bring the stuff up to the table. Uh-huh. Not like let's not like say here's an elephant in the room and not talk about the elephant, right? Mm -hmm. We can sense something. And I think when we, by just connecting with another human being person to person Mm -hmm. um, allows more opportunities to come our way because our minds open up to say, you know what? I think I do need to figure out what can I do? And there is plenty of options. It's that what is your perspective on what are you open to trying out? Is it that you want to try individual um, coaching with somebody? Or do you want to just go to a center where you don't have to talk to anybody? You feel a positive vibration. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to volunteer so that you're actually doing stuff to make a difference in the world. Mm-hmm. Really is very individual based, but it's saying that this is just as important in terms of healing as it is, um, you know, let's say what you're eating or what medications you're on or how do we adjust your medicine? It's a whole package and we have to value people as a as they are not just a person, we are people in part of a society or a community. We're part of this world. And, and so we want to embrace that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot about my fertility patients, which often it's such a lonely journey. Mm-hmm. It, it, there's this sense of people isolating themselves, even yeah. if they have support, even if they have um, people around them that care about them. It's there's something about that journey in particular that people tend to like pull away and retreat even more than um, some of the other dis- diseases. Um, yes. Yeah. So I I think about it a lot, and it's interesting because at least for my practice, I've tried um, to have groups to have like. Um, not necessarily support groups, but to do um, some of the healing in a group format rather than a one-on-one. And people are so opposed to it. It, So it's been really interesting to see like the pushback from my clients of like, nope, I'll pay you extra. Just do it one-on-one. And it's, it's wild to me because I really feel like that community and that, that like, feeling supported and nurtured in a, in a group and a community setting could be even more beneficial to the healing process. Um, but it's been interesting to notice like people are really opposed to it and um, they want to stay isolated. 
so as much as, you know, as much as I can, it's, it's a process of like, well, let's, let's get you to at least connect with your partner. Yes. In a deeper way, right? Like you have this person next to you. Let's just have you connect with that person. Yes. but yeah, I I think that it could be huge in terms of what's possible in healing if we are able to like have more community in our life. Yeah, and and just from what you're saying, I would say my from a personal um, experience, it really depends on when you look back in your life and if you've had an experience where you could say that was positive. I see the benefit. I can walk. I'll try it. I'll walk that way. But if somebody hasn't it's so unfamiliar. They're so scared that even if you were to rationalize it with them, tell it's going to be amazing in their heart. They're not able to get there. So what I see like in the work that I do, because I deal with trying to give people a different perspective of how to look at different chronic diseases um, where they've really been to many other providers, they've tried a lot of different things. They're scared and they're even scared sometimes in the medical community. Um, and so to build that trust, it's to meet them where they are. And as they have more and more positive experiences, their guards are a little bit more down. And they're like, okay, I can maybe walk a path I didn't try before. But it is often, if we came from a world where there was community, um, we did reach out to people. That feels familiar. But still, that is not, that isn't as true for certain ethnicities, I mean, to make a general statement, some are just more, they tend to be more isolated than others. Mm-hmm. We can see how in the, in the communities that there is a lot of like families coming together, the healing is spread amongst people instead of one person trying to own it. And it's trying to respect people that, okay, where I come from, we do one person at a time. It's okay, I get it. But how can we help? I'll be your partner. And then as I'm the partner, I'm going to build another team member that's going to be your partner. And as they expand that, and they're not doing all the work, then I think that world will get bigger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really beautiful. Thank you. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the spectrum of dis-ease, healing, health, wellness, Um these are kind of words that we use a lot of. We've even used them today. Um, I'm curious about your thoughts on what it means to be well or to live well um, versus healthy, um, which maybe from my perspective has kind of been co-opted by the medical paradigm of like healthy means xyz like you're free of free of disease right Right. (laughs) it's really essentially like we don't have anything we can label so you're healthy um so yeah just just more on your thoughts about that i think it's a really interesting um question of how we define things and how we like uh, our definition will then kind of um call out what we're moving towards well, I think you actually answered the question that traditionally health in allopathic or conventional medicine is um, absence of disease. But that is not wellness. Wellness is really your own perception of how you are in this moment regarding your mind, body, and spirit. Because you may be absent of disease, 
like in terms of on a gross level, if somebody were to do lab work or chat with you and you said, well, I guess you checked all the boxes and everything looks great. It doesn't mean that person's happy. Right. It doesn't mean that person feels like they have purpose in life and they feel connected to why they do what they do. So wellness is a state of mind and that all of us coming together, it, it's kind of jamming. So I don't think that it's one specific, like this is it and you are well. I think that it is what each of us defines um, and it is it changes all the time. Disease is, you know, it's really accumulation of symptoms that continue to not be adequately addressed. And the body is starting to lose its ability to keep us in check because the, the reasons that these symptoms are occurring are not being adequately looked upon and shifted. And so the body is really falling apart. And at that point, we moved from symptom-based um, to disease. Now, you know, traditionally, some people would believe disease is like, oh, once you get a disease, you've got it for the rest of your life. But I honestly believe that is not the way the body is designed, where the body is designed to heal at any moment in time. And again, that goes back to wellness, which is the healing of a person if they're at a state of whatever their disease may be you have to look at multiple components, which goes to actually looking at physiologically, how does the body work? But how does it connect with our mind and our spirit? They're all very separate. They're all extremely important on how they work together. And if they're not in sync, then you don't have wellness and you can't then get rid of your disease or be absent a disease, which is called health. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so maybe we can talk a little bit about if you have some thoughts on, and this is kind of off the off the cuff. So um, the thought that I was having while you were talking was, what are some of the ways our body is talking to us when there's a disconnect between the body, mind, and spirit? Like as an example? As an example, sure. Okay. Uh, so let's say, let's say that I woke up today. And I am really tired. I'm looking at the clock and it's 6 a.m. and I'm supposed to get up, but I am feeling like it's two in the morning. So my intellectual side of me would get up and say, okay, I gotta push through this. So let me grab some coffee and <laughs> black coffee. So let me put some sugar and some milk in there and grab something to go and you know, quickly do what I need to do and I get to get to work. Okay. Well, two hours later, I'm starting to feel like I can't focus and my stomach doesn't feel really good. Um, well, that's a symptom. So there is the intellectual side of me that would say, I can't focus. I've got like three deadlines. My stomach is bothering me. What should I do? So you've got a major point where you could go in many different directions. You could, all, you could be like, man, what was I doing drinking this coffee? Like, <laughs> The coffee decreased my blood flow to my stomach. It didn't digest whatever I did eat, which was theoretically healthy. Of course, I can't focus. Um, maybe I just need to stop for five minutes, close my eyes, just get myself in order. Instead of jumping to get another coffee and something sugary and keep pushing my way, I know I'm going to crash. So the symptoms were actually right on where my body was saying, hey, this wasn't what I needed. But oftentimes, 
we've heard so many people when they're in that path and they're feeling that they do the same exact thing over and over and over again, where they're going to have another cup of coffee. They're going to have another a piece of bread or like something sweet or something that feels like it gives them instant energy. And they're often crashing. So those are symptoms where you could go back and take control or you feel like you're taking control, but you're really getting lost. Mm-hmm. So it's that those are the moments where you can really transform the choices that you make. And those choices can be very fruitful. Fruitful means what does it mean in the moment? Does it mean for three hours, four hours, five or 12 hours? So that is exactly how our story starts. And if we pay attention to it and we can connect the dots, it's really awesome because it's like, wow, I'm in charge. My body is not telling me something and I just want to get rid of that feeling. No, I'm, I did it. It didn't make sense or I, whatever, but go back. I want to get back in charge and I'm going to feel better, you know, for 12 hours instead of one hour. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, the path that helped us move away from um, where disease starts in terms of a lot of habits that begin and we become more disconnected or there's a chance we get more empowered. And we get a moment to feel a bit better and make a better choice that your body will say, oh, I like that. But it's not just the body because it means that if I've got more focus and I'm more proud of myself, then my spirit is a lot higher. I've got more confidence. I can make better decisions. Like everything is going to tie together. Yeah. Yeah. So beautiful. I think that um, what you said there about like we have this choice and it's it's always a choice if we're listening and tuned in. And um, this idea of, am I going to feel good for an hour or am I going to feel good for 12 hours is really, it's kind of starting to um, have a thought around like, well, that's our, that's our instant culture, right? Like a lot of our, our choices do come from that place of like, how can I get to where I want to feel now, like right now. Mm -hmm. And often from that place, we might choose things that wouldn't support 12 hours of wellness. They would support an hour. Um, So I think that it's so true, like these choices and some of them maybe like the pattern, like cultural patterning that we all have around well, I'm not looking for a quick fix. I'm not looking to feel better for an hour. Um, but I can like invest and uh, invest in my well-being so that I can feel good for a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, I, I don't know. It just it, connecting a few little dots for me, like in terms of... Um, how our culture, culture, the, maybe the way that we were brought up, um, kind of also is playing a role in these like underlying subconscious choices that we're making. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it kind of feeds on itself. And the interesting thing is, it's really about thinking a little bit differently, like outside the box. And you know, when I when I started opening my own mind and I thought, oh my God, this is so hard. I have to like change so many things. And then what I realized is that, okay, start with something small. And the interesting thing is it, initially you, 
intellectual, I was like, I'm not going to be able to make it. I'm going to feel terrible. The reality is, is that when you connect with what your body really needs, you actually see the results pretty fast. Like maybe sometimes, like say, if you told somebody, okay, you cannot have any caffeine and no sugar, um, no bread, because bread is like basically sugar. <laughs> for like, you can't have it for like a week. They may feel at worst bad for maybe three days because they're craving, craving, craving. But always at the, after the third day, they feel better. And that's not really that long in the big scheme of things. Mm -hmm. It's just having faith that like, if I give it the right thing pretty quickly, they'll actually feel very liberated and light and get exactly what they wanted and not have confused themselves by taking an action that just added more layers of complexity. But yeah. so it's really not that long, but it's believing in that this is, you know, believing I think is, is everything. <laughs> you believe in something, then it forms your whole perception. Yeah. And would it, uh, would that, uh, I feel like a lot of skeptics might respond to that well with like, well, it, you know, just believing in it is no, 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 placebo. That, and right. <laughs> I mean, my job as a physician is to know the science and the physiology and the pathology. And so the art is, is how do you convey a message so that it really makes sense, but it's also not presented in a very complicated manner, right? So it's that you have the, the, the knowledge, but the art is how do you convey it to help people take the, take the ownership that they do want to consider a different way of doing something, but don't do it because I told you to do it. Um, that is actually how it is in traditional medicine. It's like, here, just take this pill. It should make your blood pressure go down or it should make your cholesterol numbers. That's, those are symptom-based treatments. Mm -hmm. And so you're starting to believe something, but you're not connected with the whys. So it's connect people um, and make it like that they can take that thought and they can do something with it, but it doesn't need to be super complicated. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of, I think that one of your, um, probably what you see a lot of, and I know that I definitely, one of my first guidelines when people come into my office is drink more water, mm. right? It's like one of these really basic things, but, um, I feel like a lot of us, a lot of people are not only not drinking enough water, but count their daily intake of coffee and tea as liquid water yeah. intake, right? Yeah, right, right. And um, so, yeah, I'm curious if you see that a lot and, and um, try to connect people with the reason to drink more water. <laughs> it seems well, so basic, but... <laughs> you're right. And it's actually very challenging to tell somebody, hey, drink more water. So... I don't actually go about the approach to say, hey, count how many glasses that you drink because it's not, it, it's like, yeah, I, I get it. And, and they get it. And there's, I've never met anyone who doesn't get that they hydration is important. Um, I don't think most people realize that most of us probably are in a state of mild to moderate or moderate dehydration at all times. We're just so accustomed to feeling that way that we don't know any better. Yeah. What I've, I've done is actually find 
ways to optimize your hydration. So if you're going to have three cups of water, then let's make those three cups of water worth your while. And the water actually all goes into your cells. Instead of like, I've met lots of people say, well, I drink water all the time, but then I'm in the bathroom all the time. So they're not really getting optimal hydration. Um, and then I think in the same time, it is trying to help them. Like, let's say they drink a lot of sugar drinks. So I use a component of, there's a reason that they're doing it because they think it's quenching their thirst, but in reality, it's not, right? Mm -hmm. So it's that part of saying, how do I make this work for them and they're actually totally cool with it so that they may not, they may do less and less of the other stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And I find that that actually tends to like the light bulbs go off and they're like, Oh, I feel so much better. <laughs> but just to straight up say somebody, you need to drink eight cups of water today. They're like, yeah, right. Hard. Yeah. It's really hard to get them to do that. Yeah. Um, so what are, what do you mean by optimize hydration? Tell me about that. So, like think about, you know, when one of the top, reasons of uh, acute illness worldwide is dehydration from gastroenteritis, okay? So if you think about when you go to the supermarket or Walgreens, you'll see all these like electrolyte solutions. Um, mm -hmm. Now they're in little packages or goos or you've got Pedialyte. Well, to sell it, they put a ton of sugar in them. Mm -hmm. There's a foundation of truth to it, which is that how does water go into the cells? So you have to have a little bit of salt, sugar, and other things to help make it happen. So my little trick for people is instead of going out and buying a bunch of stuff, and again, they're disconnected by what's in it, the simplest thing is just take a little bit of lemon, a little bit of salt and sugar, and put in your water. Hmm. And what it does is that one cup of water will actually more effectively go into their cells versus if it's a plain cup of water, it won't. Mm -hmm. Another key part is I really encourage the water to be warm or hot, because that means they sip it. If it's cold, your blood vessels um, constrict. Mm -hmm. So you'll actually you absorb it, but you won't absorb it. Yeah. So the key is, is that if the warmer it is, you slow down. And when you slow down, that means you might take a deeper breath. You have a chance that the water goes in your cells. You put the electrolytes, which is the salt, sodium chloride, and the sugar, um, Along with the lemon, which is a vitamin C, it's a delivery mechanism that helps water pool in. So you actually feel like your thirst is quenched. Um, it tastes pretty good. <laughs> and that will get them to be more attracted to continuing the behavior. Interesting. Yeah. And you don't think the sugar is a problem? Like you're it's better for them to do that than it is for them to go out and drink like sugar and sweet drinks. Again, because right. yeah. the quantity they're consuming is significant. And one of the biggest things is people tend to eat a lot of the wrong things and a lot more of things because they're actually dehydrated. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah. So I find that these are workarounds where instead of focusing on don'ts, mm -hmm. if I get them to pick better choices mm -hmm. and they're less inclined to feel this craving for something that's really going to counteract the positive action. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. Cool. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so I think um, we're, we can wrap up unless you want to add anything or if there's anything that you want to share in particular. Um, we have some space for that. No, I think this has been really great. Uh, I hope this helps kind of open people's minds to just a broader way to look at things and that 
no matter where a person is, there's always a place for them to feel empowered and to heal at any point of their lives, at whatever age they are, at whatever disease state they are. And, that, and, and if they're actually thriving, there's so much room to kind of be able to think outside the box so that they allow each day of their lives to consistently be um, made of quality versus just quantity. Because, you know, if we live life like it's a race, at some point we may not remember where are we going on this race. And so like some would say, life is really a marathon. It's not a sprint. And so part of what I do is enjoy the ride and find creative ways that each of us can, you know, really love each moment of our days. So beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, This has been an amazing conversation and we're really, we're glad you took the time today. Oh, thank you. (laughs) This is a thank you to the listeners and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Egg Meat Sperm. If you want more information about holistic fertility, pregnancy, or postpartum, go to www.holisticfertilitycenter.com. You can find us on social media through the links in the show notes below. And if you're trying to conceive, I would love to invite you to join our secret Facebook community called Positive Fertility where the discussions are not about what you can't do, but about embracing your body and empowering your fertility. Again, I'm Dr. Amatma, and we'll see you next time.